Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the home of time. It is now quite a day for local sport from your local team. This is Charlton Live. Cost me one laptop, but the three points made the trip worthwhile. Welcome to Charlton Live. Live. Very good evening to you and welcome to Charlton Live here on Maritime Radio. My name is Louis Mendes and joining me here uh, at the Valley to celebrate yesterday's uh, superb 1-0 win away at Bradford City is uh, Tom Wallin. Tom, are you still wet? Just about dried out. Just about dried out. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, It cost me my health, I think. Yes. I've got a cold coming now. You've but, got um, hyperthermia. I've uh, got a broken yeah. laptop. I mean, uh, personally, I feel my problem's bigger. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> Unless I die from it. Yeah. Well, case, uh, I, think, it, I think I win. This was an expensive laptop. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on tonight's show, we are going to look back at yesterday's uh, battling... 
Uh, we had to battle just not just Bradford City, but also the elements <laughs> up, at, up at Valley Parade yesterday. A superb 1-0 win given to us by Jake Forster. Kaskis, uh late strike. And then two or three absolutely unbelievable saves from goalkeeper Ben Amos later on in the show. We're going to hear from Carl Robinson as we look back at that win. We're also going to discuss, of course, the takeover rumours that came out on Thursday afternoon. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts on, on those things as well as the uh, the game uh, yesterday. We also want to know your thoughts on our player in focus. This week, our player in focus is once again Ben Amos. We've done him before. That was very early on in the season after Plymouth. I want to know if your opinion of him has changed as his uh, performances perhaps have improved uh, throughout the course of the season. Uh, also, in the second half of the show, we're going to discuss, uh, you know, in, in homage to yesterday's uh, Storm Bryan, uh, what, what, what other games can you remember that were played in quite exceptional sort of weather circumstances? Uh, for those of you not aware, yesterday's game at Bradford City, the rain was unending. Uh, and for those of us in the press in the press box who thought who looked at the big roof above us and thought excellent, uh, <laughs> didn't realise that the wind somehow up north goes sideways. I mean, and blew blew the rain right into us, and uh, I've ended up with a laptop that uh, speakers have now gone again, so that don't work. And there's loads of water within the screen. Also, if there's any laptop experts listening, willing to come and fix my laptop for free, uh, please hit me up studio at charltonlive.co.uk or tweet us at Charlton Live if you want to react to any of those uh, those topics that we've mentioned so the game yesterday's 1-0 win up at Bradford the takeover rumours which we'll discuss later in the show player in focus Ben Amos and of course other games where we've had to battle against the elements uh, during the 90 minutes Tom just before we hear the highlights of uh, that win up at Bradford City yesterday that was good wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, whether I enjoyed it or not I don't know just because I was so cold and so wet but um, yeah such a such a disciplined performance. I mean, we'll go into that and the game itself in more detail. But yeah, to go up there, I said on Thursday's show, arguably the hardest away game we'd had so far. Probably the hardest game we'd had so far. Um, I thought we played well. Got Obviously got the goal late on and held on for three points. So yeah, couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier. Right, let's have a listen to how those uh, the, that, that game went. The commentators yesterday was one, Tom Wallin and also Terry Smith up at Valley Parade. Stokowski, ball forward to Ricky Holmes, who's going to go on a run now, Ricky Holmes, towards the left-hand edge of the penalty area, takes a shot, oh! wide by the keeper, what a fantastic effort from Ricky Holmes, he had Diang all over him, sliding in, still got his shot away, and how Doyle managed to keep that out from the top corner, I don't know. Brilliant effort, a brilliant save. And then goes for the run, Clark into the penalty area, Clark's on it, Billy Clark, takes a oh! shot, oh! just wide right. Almost a goal on his return to Bradford. Ashfield is shaping for it with his left foot, and it is his left foot right to the far post. It's a dangerous one. It's being headed out. Great save from Amos, and then grabs it at the second attempt. I think that was Knight Percival who got his head to it. Back into the danger area, and may have been uh, Dieng who got the final touch, but... Great save. And there it is. That is the time in the end of this first half. Solly with the throw into Holmes' feet. Holmes swings the ball into the box. Oh, it's it's off off the crossbar! Fosu trying to get on the end of it now. Fosu, Bonner touchline. Being forced out. Turns, tries to go the other side of Hendry, who stayed strong and stayed upright, but Hendry just about gets it clear. Up to White. This time he stays on his feet. White goes right to Gilead. Gilead with Sar in front of him on halfway. Goes right to Law. Law with Clark all over him. Finds Gilead on the touchline, and Gilead's got past Sar. Into the water penalty area, ball cut across, White's there, so's Patrick. Oh. Over the bar, but I think it came off Esri Konza with a sliding yeah, challenge. Take on Saul. Saul gets a tackle in and Foster will pick it up for Joel. <laughs> Lovely touch. touch from Holmes to pit free. Foster Kasky, Holmes goes for the return. Foster Kasky with a shot, oh. Oh, and tipped round the post. 
by Doyle before it could nestle in the right-hand corner. Charlton will have a corner, but almost so much more. Dieng, Dieng, little ball out to Patrick. His ball is cut out, attempted for Gilead, is cut out by Sarn. He's picked out Ricky Holmes on this Charlton right-hand side. He's gone past his man, he's run out of room down that right side. No, he hasn't. Still on the ball. It's a Charlton throw. Has to be off, and now it is, but the first ball was well out as well. And that's what the Bradford fans are incensed about, as is (laughs) Stuart McCall. The ball was a good, I don't know, couple of inches out. There's a quick throw from Holmes into Solly. Solly, cross ball. Foster's on the far side, gets something on it. Yes! Finished off by Foster Caskey. And Charlton have the lead. And 73 minutes gone. And the Bradford... Fans, players and management alike are absolutely livid. Stuart McCall still fuming about the throw and they may well have a point because Ricky Holmes looked like he'd run the ball out of play. But the point was that when Charlton did then win the throw-in, the Bradford players had switched off. Ricky Holmes took it quickly down to Solly. Solly's ball swirled all the way over the back to the back post where uh, Tariq Fosu was free. He chose to hit it first time back across the goal and there was Forster Kasky two yards out to just stab it in and make sure it went past the keeper Doyle. And Charlton, as I say, Bradford probably been the better side in this second half, but Charlton have looked dangerous on the counter-attack. They've got their goal and what two defeats here uh, in 37 games for Bradford and they're in danger of making it three from 38 because Charlton have put themselves so one nil the attempted ball forward and Robinson's in the penalty area. so is Wyke what Brilliant a save, save from Ben Amos fantastic save but it's still alive for Bradford comes in to the far stick it's a clean header oh, what a save unbelievable oh, save Amos, from Ben Amos who's mobbed by what his a Charlton header from Kilgallen in, going into the top corner and Amos snakes out a right hand and tips it round for a corner out of nowhere that ball hung in the air for ages right on the edge of the six yard box as you say Kilgallen got a huge head to it it looked like it was going right in the top corner and out of nowhere Ben Amos sprung himself in and clawed it out of that top corner what an amazing save from the keeper Amos now looking to kick it out of his hands referee's checked his watch there's the final whistle Charlton with a massive three points here up at Bradford Lovely stuff there from uh, from Tom and Terry describing that 1-0 win up at Valley Parade uh, yesterday. You could hear the relief in your voice at the mm. end of that game because we, we were put under pressure in that last... That last five, ten minutes or so, but um, Ben Amos was the man who, uh, you know, preserved that three points for us. With, I mean, two excellent saves in in the in the dying minutes, in particular the, the last one, which Carl Robinson described as one of the best things he's ever seen on a pitch from a goalkeeper. That header from Kil Kilgallen, and he claws it out out of the the top corner, an amazing save. And then he, even as he reacts, he sort of does an overhead kick to put it behind for a mm. corner to stop the rebound going. In. Unbelievable goalkeeping. Yeah, I think it's one of the best bits of goalkeeping I've ever seen live as well. Just. Uh... Absolutely incredible, and obviously, I don't know. Are we going to hear his interview after the game? No, that's not going to be out until the papers. Okay, but yeah, you know, one of the questions you asked him was about uh, how you can't really celebrate when you make a save as a keeper. You can obviously when you're a striker and you score a goal, but as a keeper, you've got to keep that concentration. And he did. He made that first save. It then went out for the corner, and then the second one, which I think was probably the the pick of the lot. And as you say, then to get back up again and then clear it, it was just. Phenomenal, and it was as important as uh, as Forster Caskey's goal because if he hadn't been there and been able to do that, then we would have found ourselves going home with just a point. And as I say, I think in that second half, Bradford was slightly the better team, but we were so disciplined and our defensive display was, was brilliant. It wasn't one of our most attractive performances, but we we dug in, we did the dirty work, and uh, and then profited from a counter attack and a lapse in concentration from the Bradford players and 
got all three points. Don't forget, we want to hear your views on yesterday's win up at Bradford City. You can tweet us at Charlton Live or you can uh, email us studio at charltonlive.co.uk. There's a thread on the Charlton Life forum for tonight's show. You can have your say there as well uh, on yesterday's game and performance and, of course, any of the topics we're going to bring up later on in the show. Now, you heard it in the commentary there, and I, I wasn't really aware of it at the time <laughs> because I was too busy trying to... You know, stop my laptop Salvage from drowning. Your laptop, <laughs> um, uh, in the build-up to our goal, there was some sort of controversy over a throw-in that Bradford felt should have gone their way. Now, what, what did you see? Yeah, so Ricky Holmes had it down the right touchline. He was right in front of Stuart McCall's dugout, um, dribbling right alongside the byline. Now, to me, I haven't seen it back, but to both me and Terry, we were certain that Ricky Holmes dribbled it out of play. Um, so the Bradford players were expecting a throw-in. Referee didn't give it, linesman didn't give it, so Ricky Holmes carried on dribbling and then about three or four yards further on, kicked it against a Bradford player. Obviously then it goes out of play and Charlton win a throw-in. Uh, the char- uh, Bradford players and Stuart McCall then start berating the referee and the linesman and in the meantime Ricky Holmes takes the quick throw-in, Solly then crosses it in for Fosu and that- that's where we get the goal. So you saw and heard in the commentary as I say that as soon as the goal went in then all the players turned round and ran towards the linesman. Stuart McCall was off down the touchline to go and see him as well. So that was the issue. As I say, me and Terry thought the ball had gone out of play. All the fans in front of us thought it had as well, but the linesman didn't, the referee didn't, and and uh, Ricky Holmes was quick thinking, and the Bradford players were still just sort of fell asleep, little laps in concentration, and that was all we needed. It's, it's one of those things we'll, we'll say every now and then on the show, but there's so many times it goes against us. It, mm. you know, when, when you get one like that, and it's, it's the quick thinking of Ricky Holmes to take, of, to take the throw in for Solly, and when Solly saw the run, Ricky Holmes took the throw quickly, while the Bradford fans were still moaning that. It's one of those ones where you, you've got to keep your concentration, and you know, whereas Charlton did that in the main yesterday, and that's why we came away with a clean sheet. That's where Bradford let themselves down, gave us that one opportunity, and we're, we are the sort of team where you, we, we, we will try and you know, tend to take uh, take advantage of any laps in concentration like that yeah definitely and uh, as you say sometimes they go for you sometimes they go against you look if I, as I say I haven't seen it back but if we see it back and it clearly went out of play then I, I have every sympathy with the Bradford fans because that's obviously frustrating to see it happen Sorry. but yeah, I don't I certainly don't have any sympathy for the players because you have to stay concentrated and when we go into the game in a bit more detail you know not only the lineup, who played across the back four, but the way we handled Wyke in particular, who's one of the best strikers, I think, at, in this league. Um, OK, they had a couple of players missing, but we were so disciplined, and I kept saying it in commentary, that back four was so tight as a unit. And uh, Forster Kasky, who for me, I know Amos's saves were pretty outstanding, but Forster Kasky had an absolute blinder as well. Kashi making his tackles, that... That whole defensive unit were just phenomenal and Fosu and Holmes did their fair share as well in such difficult conditions and at a ground where, as you heard in the commentary there, their record at home has just been unbelievable. I know the three defeats they've now had have all come fairly recently, but over the last 40 games, that's a pretty decent record to have and we just handled it and we kept, stayed disciplined, we kept our shape and we looked to pick them off on the counter-attack and we had a couple of other chances with Fosu and uh, De Silva breaking late on with McGuinness shooting wide and we, we had few chances but um, yeah we just bided our time basically and when that one lapse in concentration came Holmes and Solly quick thinking uh, Fosu okay it wasn't the best strike in the world but there was Forster Kasky doing something that we hadn't seen him do for six or seven games bursting into the box to be there to just stab it in. 
Uh, obviously, the big news before the game is always the, the team news and a couple of perhaps surprises. Now, mm. uh, we were having a long discussion before the game about whether the whole Ricky Holmes thing yeah. was uh, mind games or not. I, I mean, without having any inside knowledge, I just came in on first and said, that's definitely mind games because that's what <laughs> Carl does. Uh, George, the club media officer, saying, well, if it is mind games, it's worked on me as well because mm. it sounded like Ricky didn't, wasn't training. I think he said he did not train Thursday. Didn't train Thursday. So there was perhaps a, a 50-50 element about it, but he did play. Uh, so that's that's one bit of good news, of course, and and the other one is uh, a, a more interesting tactical decision. Uh, Naby Sarr coming in at left back for for Jade Silver. We all know Jade Silver is diminutive or a midget, if if, if you prefer. Um, he's uh, uh, and uh, we saw it last week against Doncaster where they were targeting di- uh, direct diagonal balls over Jade Silver's head late on as they were trying to come back into the game. Now Carl said that he'd looked at. You know, Bradford, he'd even looked at the weather forecast and thought with the mm. swirling wind, they might try and use that to an advantage. So they used Naby Sarr instead. What, what, what did you make of his performance at left back? I thought he was maybe not outstanding, but he was very, very good. Um, the first 20 minutes, 25, 30 minutes even, he didn't have too much to do. And that, for me, was a sign that the tactical decision had worked because a lot of the time they were choosing to go down the right instead. Um, I don't know whether the the injuries to Polion and, and Chickson played a part in that as well um, because Carl said that they were players that they've been looking at as danger men. Um, but yeah, everything that the Bradford seemed to be doing was going through Solly's side instead. When it did come to Naby Sarr's side, he, he didn't put a foot wrong. He was making his tackles, he was watching the ball, he was doing everything that you'd want from a defender. Um, in the second half, they targeted him a bit more um, and there were a couple of times, I think we heard one of them in the commentary there where Gilead, is it Gilead? Um, got behind him on the right-hand side and did manage to get balls in. Um, that's why I'd maybe stay away from saying Saar was outstanding, but considering he's not a natural left-back or mm. certainly hasn't played there for us as far as I'm aware, except maybe pre-season, did he? Um, he did a did a very good job and you could see why he was in there. And uh, yeah, that aerial threat when um, with the not only their set pieces and their ability to to get the ball up there like that but also with the conditions I thought he did very well yeah because that was the the thought I had about 10 minutes in I think was the first time he, he came up against the winger and, and he got past him and I thought oh dear here we go and, mm. and also if you look at the end uh, the end of the highlights for those of you who weren't at the game the, the one that Ben Amos's penultimate save where, yeah. where the, again he was beaten by the winger and the ball came back so there's a couple of times he did get beaten uh, but in the air, uh, set pieces, that sort of stuff. I mean, that's we, we we weren't up until that corner late on. I can't remember being too troubled from set pieces, and that's why we needed perhaps a an extra big man in there on on, on uh, yesterday's game. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, one of the things I said before the game when uh, we went on uh, on Valley Pass was, I think their last four or five games, Bradford, they'd scored four goals before the fifteen or sixteenth minute. So they had a habit of scoring early goals. Um, and I said we we had to be wary of that because obviously conditions were as they were. You know, they're at home with this good home record. If they start pumping balls in early and try and get that early goal, we've seen how we struggle to come back from, from being behind. And uh, we just had to keep it tight and sort of ride that out. And as it was, Bradford created very little. Now, whether that was because they were having a slightly off day or because of our defensive prowess I'm not sure but either way there as you say there wasn't a huge amount of worry for for Ben Amos in the early stages and uh yeah Naby Sarr's aerial threat when the balls did come in was obviously great I thought Bauer was uh really disciplined as well um and I just thought that back four again it's the same word again that their discipline and their their structure and the, the way they all communicated and everything it was all just so well drilled it was like we've been playing like that for years and uh 
yeah, it was really pleasing to see because that's a part of the game that, you know, we, we did okay at Rotherham, um, obviously with the 2-0 win, but you look at a couple of the chances they had there and argue they probably should have scored one or two of them. Um, but it wasn't really like that at Bradford. Even that Kilgallen one, okay, we wouldn't say he should have scored. It was just a, an outrageous save from Ben Amos, but even that was right at the end. So I think the fact that we restricted them is credit to that back four and, as I say, to the midfielders in front who put a, a huge shift in as well. They have a noticeable, uh, noticeable change apart from then. So Konza coming into, into the back four mm. uh, for, De, uh, for De Silva with, uh, with Saar moving out. Was um, Clark... Uh, coming in for Reeves, what did you make of that decision? I, mean, so I, I think you weren't there on Tuesday, so I mean Reeves was fairly quiet against against Oxford, and Clark has obviously ha- had his little rest that he needed after that little niggling in, in injury he mm. sort of had for the last few weeks, and comes back against his old team uh, and involved. It had a couple of chances. I mean, early on we saw it, that that throw from Solly looked like a foul throw actually, but he cut <laughs> in, he cut in on his left and, and dragged it only just wide, uh, and he got a nice reception from the Bradford fans before kickoff as well. Yeah, he. Uh... Yeah, I haven't seen Reeves play for us, um, not live. I've seen the extended highlights of the Oxford game, um, but I have seen him play for MK Dons. And whilst he is creative and he likes to get on the ball, I think he hasn't got that that grit that that Billy Clark has. You know, he's like a little terrier sometimes, tearing round trying to snuff out chances and press higher up the pitch. Uh, I, Reeves may be that, and it might just be that I haven't seen that. But certainly whilst he's getting back to match fitness, I would think Clark is more adept at doing that. Um, I think coming up against his former club as well, um, whether that's going to give him a little bit more impetus. Um, but yeah, I was pleased with the decision because I think, uh, OK, it's unfortunate for Reeves, but I would suggest that Clark has been one of our best players this season. I mean, obviously, Fosu's goals speak for themselves, but in terms of all of the work he does for the team, he's so unselfish as a player, Billy Clark. And as I say, it would have been nice to get that chance. And having seen the highlights, it was closer to that, that uh, right-hand post than I thought it was initially. Um, but I thought he was fantastic. And yeah, not only a nice reception at the start of the game, but he then got subbed towards the end. And considering they were 1-0 down and they were angry at the way the referee had let us, if you like, get our goal, um, the Bradford fans were again fantastic in giving him a reception. Um, because I don't know, I know that they obviously thought a lot of Mark Marshall. I don't know how much they thought of Billy Clark necessarily, but I thought it was uh, it was handled very well from them. But yeah, another great performance from him. Yeah, because when uh, when Clark actually joined us, a lot of their fans didn't seem that bothered That's what I on, thought, uh, yeah. on social media, which I found quite interesting. Now the first, I mean, first real decent chance uh, sort of came from nothing really. Uh, Ricky Holmes went on a run, hit a left footed drive that just seemed to keep looping. Yeah. So I, now in hindsight, I'm just wondering it must have, it must have caught the wind. It must have done because it looked like it was almost going to lob over the goalkeeper there. But yeah, imagine if that, if that got in, that would have been a one hell of a strike. That would have been a perfect start, wouldn't it? Yeah, and uh, yeah, he didn't he didn't seem to hit it that hard. I was begging him to give the ball to someone else, but decided to take it on and sort of yeah hit it towards goal and then it, it kept going and kept going and kept going and then suddenly Doyle started scrambling back and managed to tip it over for a corner but uh yeah it would have been a lovely start and we know he's got the spectacular in him but um yeah I think that one was uh helped by the wind but unfortunately not quite enough yeah, it was nine minutes in when uh Gilead first started running a, a Naby Sarr at left back and he did beat him his cross ended up being headed behind for a corner um in, in terms of the first half I mean it was it was quite I don't know if you'd say it was cagey it was it was it was mm. both teams were having a go uh chances throughout throughout that first half did seem to come from nothing so for example so we had that yeah. we had that throw in that that was taken quickly that, that, that Clark came in on his left and then you know a couple of breaks were coming there was one break sort of midway through that first 
first half where we'd had a corner or a throw or something and, they, and Bradford were coming out possibly possibly sort of outnumbering us so I was getting worried it got towards the halfway line when Naby Sarr slid in with this amazing mm. uh, sort of slide challenge but in, t- yeah, in terms of actual chances there's sort of few and far between in that in that early part of the half a couple of times we sort of got in behind and got, saw crosses cut out and, and the same down the other end as well it's fairly I don't know if, if KG is the fair way to describe it yeah it doesn't it doesn't seem like quite the right word but I don't know how else really to explain it because it was an enjoyable half to obviously commentating on it you maybe concentrate on patterns of play and stuff a bit more than just being in the stand so and I enjoyed commentating on it it was an enjoyable half to watch but at the same time there didn't as you say seem to be a huge amount of chances and when they were they were kind of more speculative than than you know patient build-up play or anything like that it was obviously a very difficult game for the players to play the wind was just ridiculous the rain was not so bad in the first half but got worse throughout the day and uh yeah it was just uh it was two teams who clearly are a a good standard for this level are going to be up there towards the end of the season you would expect but just maybe beaten by the conditions and just cancelling each other out because as I say our defence marshalled their uh white um in particular quite well I know him and Bauer had a few tussles and Bauer gave a few free kicks away but we just tended to snuff that out and then perhaps they didn't necessarily counter us but the conditions meant that we couldn't play our nice attacking football you know when we did get on the break uh, this isn't just the first half either but the second half as well Ricky or Fosu would try and push the ball in front just to dribble it on but the ball would hold up in the wind or the rain on the surface and they would trip over the ball or it get caught in their feet and we weren't able to play our, our fluent football that we're used to but as I say the fact that we adapted to that and went right well if we can't do that we're going to do the basics right and we're going to defend our goal well and we're going to still look to try and get away when we can I think is credit to the team. Uh, the first bit of uh, ex- excellent goalkeeping we saw from Amos really came sort of on the half hour mark where a free kick was uh, floated towards the far mm. post headed back in towards the middle and he's out really well to, to smother uh, the, the header I mean it's one of those ones where if it has been a fairly quiet half for you as a goalkeeper you, you still need to be alert to, to, to be awake to those sort of chances that are going to come out of nothing and obviously a set, a set piece in, in that circumstances and it sort of made himself big it was the, the Peter Schmeichel style starfish if you want to call it that where he, he came out to, to block a header we saw a similar one later on in the game but yeah first, first thing really he had to do was on, on a half an hour yeah that's exactly how I described it yesterday I said it was like Peter Schmeichel and down that end, for anyone who knows Bradford, they, uh, is where the away fans uh, stand and that end is v- very exposed. There's gaps either side of quite a small stand, so the wind was really swirling there. The... Yeah, that's, how, that's why we got so wet, yeah. <laughs> there was no, no big stand there to block it. <laughs> exactly. One of the corner flags was almost horizontal with the power of the wind, so we were, we were a bit nervous because we were standing behind the free kick take and we could see it and the ball was moving so much in the air. Uh, it was a good nod back in and then and then headed at goal, I think, by Diang. And uh, as you say, Amos just came out, made himself big. That starfish jump that, as we say, we associate so much with Peter Michael. And uh, yeah, he, he'd not had a huge amount to do. So to keep that concentration and do that in those conditions was was pleasing because I'm sure we'll discuss him more in, in more detail later in the show. But he's not someone we've necessarily felt comfortable relying on. Um, but yesterday, I just felt like, it was going to be one of those days where anything he touched was was going to be good for us and and that was the start of it really yeah and whilst we're reminiscing about 1990s football with Peter Schmeichel there was one well, there was one cross from Fosu uh, sort of 
36 minutes in where he crossed it from the right-hand side and again it caught the wind and I just had visions of Neil Redfern's goal away at Wimbledon uh, Boxing Day 98 that must have been uh, and I just thought that was going to curl over the keeper but in the end it actually landed quite nicely for him we get to, we get to half time just before half time a ball went into the box and um, you spotted it as well because I heard it on the commentary but McGuinness appealed for handball as the ball was sort of bouncing around I don't know if the defender it was a real mash of bodies between there I don't know if it might have just nicked the defender's hand on the way down I don't know if he really had a view on that uh, at the time I was certain it was a handball um, again I haven't seen it back so I could well be proven wrong um, but I think there were a few decisions like that where the referee was a bit I wouldn't say he was biased one way or the other or anything like that he was just a bit I don't know whether the conditions played a part. He just seemed to make some strange decisions. As I said earlier, there was a lot of a running battle between Wyke and Bauer where Bauer was coming up to the back of Wyke and then Wyke would just go down and win a free kick every time. And You'd think that the referee would be a bit clever and realise what he was doing, but then Fosu started to do it up the other end and win free kicks because he realised that was working. So it seemed to be happening either way. I thought the referee had quite a good view of that incident. And as I say, McGuinness, who was the closest Charlton player to it, appealed immediately. Um, but I, I haven't seen it back at the time. I, I thought it was a handball, but the referee wasn't wasn't having it. At half time, how were you feeling? Were you think, thinking it was been a fairly even encounter, or did you think Charlton should have been ahead? Uh, I was feeling cold. I was feeling <laughs> wet, and I wanted the game to finish really quick. Um, I didn't. I didn't think I was glad we'd uh, weathered the storm. Excuse the pun. I thought because, as I said, I expected Bradford to start quickly and. Uh, and we'd got through that. We'd got to nil-nil. I'd have taken a point before the game, probably, to come out of this week with a point uh, away at Oxford and a point away at Bradford. I think I would have been happy enough with that. But Amos hadn't really been troubled. And I kept thinking, if we could... You know, the Ricky shot, the Clark shot, we were we were close with a few chances. Yes, they were speculative. But I felt like we, we had more quality in the final third than they did. And uh, I felt we only needed one of those things to go our way and we could get in front. And it was definitely a game that was that was there for the taking and uh, in previous years I know that we've then gone on to screw those up and I really felt that this was a, a big chance I, it wasn't as tough as I was expecting it to be um, and then as the second half started there a lot of the incidents around both penalty areas seemed to be big goal mouth scrambles and I thought this is going to be decided by something scrappy at one or other of the ends and uh wasn't as scrappy as, as I expected in the end with the goal but yeah I wasn't I wasn't particularly nervous about the game I just felt we we were slightly the better team I just felt quite quite comfortable for an away game at a top three or four side I just felt quite comfortable I wasn't necessarily sure we were going to win it but I didn't really feel like we were going to we were going to lose at that stage we nearly nicked the lead as well in quite bizarre circumstances early on yeah. when Ricky Holmes is uh, cross sort of from the right right hand side I think it was sort of with the outside of his boots he was going to swerve mm. anyway but it just completely caught the wind uh, and, and crash back off off the crossbar, and we would have completely wrong footed the goal goal. And we saw it later on in that in that second half where Ben Amos went for a big old punt uh, on, from the edge of his box, and it started going towards the over the halfway line, caught the wind, and then blew backwards and yeah. landed pretty much on the edge of his own area. I mean, that wind was really going to affect affect in that second half as as the, the weather sort of worsened uh, as as the game went on. Um, but I mean. In terms of chances for the home side, then I'm still I'm still not seeing too many. No. Like Dieng had a volley from a corner as he, as he fell backwards. Other than that, not too much. I mean, there's a great block from just after we hit the crossbar. They went straight down the other end, and Konza yeah. put a great block into uh, 
uh, to deflect a shot over the bar. And I guess Konza's block there probably sort of summed up pretty much how we defended throughout the game. Mm. And you were saying at half time, I think yesterday, how impressed you were with how well uh, the, the back four was doing in front of Ben Amos. Yeah, and I think in fact that was probably the fact he had to throw himself in front of that was that was probably the worst bit of defending almost because before then we'd, we'd not had to get to that stage. But when we did, again, we did the right thing. So when Ben Amos had to make a save in the first half, it was unfortunate he had to make one at all. But the fact is, as a goalkeeper, you're going to, and he did it well. That time, eventually, they did manage to get through our defence, have a shot, and Konza was there to block it. Um, and I just think, yeah, the, the half chances that you talk about, so Diang with his shot, Wycab one. They were all kind of half chances. A lot of them were on the turn. They were snapshots. They tended to be off balance or leaning, so they were going harmlessly over the bar. There wasn't really anything that was fired hard at, at Amos or anything that was particularly too difficult to deal with. Now, whether that was because of the conditions or whether that was because of our defensive display, I don't know. But it was just, uh, as I say, when similar feeling to at half time. The longer the game went on, I just kept thinking, well, they're not really troubling us. I'm, I'm not too concerned. I mean, we weren't creating a huge amount as I say I think Bradford probably put us under more pressure at the start of that second half than we did but it was only up until the edge of the area and then Mm. nothing was really happening I didn't think the crowd started to pick up on some of these chances and the crowd grew in confidence I thought as well as a bit of frustration with the the referee which will come to mainly with the goal but yeah I was I was still not too concerned and and as you say the chances were kind of half chances really yeah. and then uh, you did just got the sense we were just starting to turn it on as so we saw mm. that Forster Kasky effort that you would have seen on the highlights if you weren't there with his left foot yeah uh, and Fos- like Fosu hit uh, that, that one for Forster Kasky was tipped around the post Fosu hit a free kick R- Ronaldo style yeah uh, straight it's a swerving but in the end the keeper dealt with it and then seconds later he had another shot from 20-25 yards low sort of dragged it wide and then there were seconds later where there was that, that controversial incident now we talked about it uh, with the, the the way the weather conditions were going, the way the game was going, where it wasn't it wasn't the most fast paced game you're ever going to no. see. And like we said, any lapse in concentration caused by a bit of frustration by a refereeing decision that, by the sounds of it, we might have got away with one there. Ricky Holmes has possibly run out. Uh, we've played on, hit it, and we've taken it quickly. Any lack in concentration like that, I mean, that can be what can win a game for you. And that's that's sort of what's what's done it for us this time. Yeah, yeah. Not only win a game, that can be the difference between. At the end of the season, who knows what, you know, if that's the difference between second and third, is it the difference between sixth and seventh? It can have a huge bearing on the whole the whole uh, season. So, look, again, I'll say it again, I don't know. It may not have gone out, in which case then Bradford have got no reason to complain at all. But if it did go out, credit to the Charlton players for staying alert to it, for taking their chance. Uh, the Bradford players fell asleep and and we didn't through the whole game. And, and that was why um, we came home with the three points. And it was... Yeah, we we you're right. We had turned it on, and Fosu shot. Uh, Forster Kasky's less so, but I've been saying a lot in commentary. I don't understand why players aren't drilling their shots more, because I know a lot of the Bradford chances, as I said, they were kind of off balance and they were skying them. But if they'd have tried to keep them on the floor, you know, with the with the wind and with the rain and swirling around and the the wet surface, you just don't know. You know, with lots of bodies as well around. But um, people tended to be shooting high, and it was just catching the wind and going harmlessly over the bar. But the Fosu free kick for one, and then even the the Fosu drive that Forster Kasky stabs in, you know, he kept that low as well, which was which was pretty impressive because Solly's cross was swirling around, but he had a lot of time to do it. And uh, yeah, as I say, then Forster Kasky was on the end to just stab it in. Shows how we like to flood the opposition penalty area with players. The fact that we mm. we've got our, one of our wingers at the far side, and of course our, one of our deep line midfielders who does like to get forward there uh, in the thick of it to, to turn it home, even when we have taken that free kick quite quickly. And Forster Kasky. 
Uh, like, like I said, probably hadn't done it as much over the last few weeks, and he'd, he'd gone a little bit of a spell. I think possibly since that Northampton game without scoring. Yeah. Uh, so it's good for him to get back on the uh, on the score sheet as well. Yeah, brilliant. And he'd obviously been in the the Charlton media, if you like, earlier in the week, talking about how he didn't we didn't fear anyone, and you know we're the team that need to take games to the opposition, and he. Uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do, and he he did as well. You know, he burst into the box and he he showed no fear, and he was there in case you know you'd ex- you'd well, I, we wouldn't expect Fosu to score because it was a difficult volley, but the scoring form he's on, you wouldn't have been surprised if that had gone in the the back stick. I, having seen the highlights, I can't quite tell. I think it's going wide. Yeah, I though. think it's going wide. Yeah. Whereas initially, I wondered whether it was going to go in anyway, but uh, there was a defender around as well, but. Yeah, Forster Kasky was there. He'd made the decision to burst in and uh, was there to stab it home right in front of the the uh, travelling fans. And there you have it. So you're what 18 minutes from the end. Northern cloggers away from home. Horrible weather, freezing cold. The weather by then was at its worst. Yeah, and the, it? yeah, the rain was getting worse and worse as that as that game was uh, was continuing. My laptop was on its last legs, <laughs> um, and and you and you're in for this this final slog now against a team that got to the playoff final last year. They've yeah. only lost twice at home in 37 league games. You know you're going to come under pressure, and when you're going to come under pressure, it's your back four and it's your goalkeeper who are going to be tested. Now, most of the time, the defence dealt with it, but the two times they didn't. Ben Amos uh, sort of stole the show really at the end of that game. Yeah, and it it showed. So Bradford tended to now start drilling the ball forward. I thought Reeves in the middle got on the ball a lot um, for them. But then they started to hit the ball long. And uh, yeah, m- most of the time the defence were underneath it and they were getting their headers away. But when they didn't, it went through to Amos and uh, he made good saves. I think there were a few times where... It was strange, really, because of the the strength of the wind. They were playing long balls forward, and the ball was catching the wind, and actually was quite easy for Amos to deal with because it was bypassing everybody else. But then those two chances in particular, where that didn't happen, uh, he was on hand, and it was just the first save he made was pretty impressive, um, but that second one was just just unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Because we were commentating on it, and obviously you you follow the ball and you. You look at what's happening in the box and from where we were stood, we were right behind Kilgallen and he got his head up and you could see the top corner of the goal was just open. And it was thought, looping as well. So it wasn't a straight header, it was sort no. of a loop on it. Yeah, and you thought if he heads it into that spot, then there's no, there's nobody anywhere near it. I couldn't even see Ben Amos because there were so many bodies between them. And then out of nowhere, this big yellow figure suddenly appeared and just clawed it out. It was uh, it was almost Seaman-esque oh, against, yeah. against Sheffield United Which, in that cup semi-final. It's how I described it to Terry after the game yesterday. It was, it was just incredible. And then, as you say, to have the the thought... Uh, uh, to, well, the wearable, too, yeah, to yeah, get that overhead going. To then get up and clear yeah. it as well. Because at the time, I mean, I mean, the, when when the ball went behind, I thought that Kilgallen had mm. had the second bite of the cherry. So and I. I couldn't understand why I'd given a corner because it, it, it made no sense that he'd be able to get up and do an overhead kick yeah. from the position he was on the floor. But watching it back on the... Uh, on the highlights. So in fact, if you go through my Twitter timeline, I tweeted a video of a Bradford City fan. Uh, a young young lady did a vlog, and so they filmed themselves talking about the game. But she also filmed the game as well. And there's a, amazing footage of that save, and you can see just how well we did to get up and claw it from that top corner. And then uh, reaction as well to uh, to sort of overhead kick it behind uh, for a corner. I mean, the save before was from Charlie Wyke as well, which is again it's another good one. The ball had been. Um, uh, it was a pull back, and then uh, Amos mentions in the interview, which you'll read in the paper tomorrow, he was he, he wasn't just it wasn't the save he was happy with; it was more his own decision to come mm. out because that's one of those ones 
he might have been tempted to stay on the line and try and deal with it. But he came out, closed the angle down and made himself big and a, a fantastic save. Uh, we, went, we go into five minutes of, of added time twice, actually. We, we had chances on a break with McGinnis. Yeah. The second one, he dragged only just wide. Uh, but in fairness, by dragging it wide, he, he, he wasted time. And that's all we needed. Uh, and that when that final whistle went, I mean, we were soaking. But, God, it felt like a good three points and a big three points. And it brings us level now with Bradford City. I remember on a big match preview show about two or three weeks ago saying, oh, it looks like the top three are going to run away with this. Because I think Bradford were maybe five points clear of whoever was in third at the time. Mm. I mean, they've only taken one point out of nine now. We're on level points for Bradford City you know the 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 uh, Shrewsbury and uh, Wigan of course are still sort of coming away with it I think we're 9-10 points of Shrewsbury which is unbelievable at this considering we've done quite well this season the run they're having but I mean we're we're well entrenched now within that playoff race which I guess at this this stage of the season is is pretty much you know for, for the team we are and is that pretty much where we want to be? Yeah, yeah. And it gives us a chance to catch up with the, with those as, as exactly. the season continues. And obviously, well. we've we've got Shrewsbury coming up not that far away now. Um, obviously, we'd love to be top of the table. We'd love to be where Shrewsbury are. But I think, given what we've had in the last few years, if we're being more realistic, to be where we are is pretty impressive, anyway. And you know, we had that the loss to to Gillingham, and we had a couple of draws, and then you think. You know, you look at two draws and you think, right, our our form in the last game is three games without a win. And then I think this is something we said after the game yesterday. You then win the following game and you've had two draws followed by a win and you go, right, we're unbeaten in three. And you can you can choose to word your form how you like. But now when you look at the form of the last, is it five or six games where we've won three, drawn three or something? That's That's good form. That's really good form. And you look at the sides we've played. Like I say, we've been to Oxford away. We've been to Bradford away. That's impressive. Now, at the end of the season, are we going to rue the games against the likes of Bury or Gillingham or Plymouth who are who are struggling? I don't know, but the truth is that whatever that little blip was, we've turned that form around. We've gone away to two very difficult sides this week, follow, obviously following up the Doncaster win as well. Let's not forget that. And we've taken seven points from the week and that's obviously good to build on. We now go into Wimbledon next week and then we've got the FA Cup. So we just need to try and keep that momentum going now and yeah, I don't. I don't see any reason why not. Obviously, the way Forster Kasky was talking, the squad are in uh, confident mood as well. Um, and yeah, it's all looking good at the moment. We need to try and hunt those other two down. Um, and if we can't catch them up, then what we need to do is make sure we're third or fourth and just biding our time. Because you would expect, uh, no disrespect to either of those teams, but you'd expect at some point they're going to have our blip as well. And when they do, we need to be ready to capitalise on that and, and push for those places. Right, so don't forget, uh, we want your opinions on yesterday's game. You can email us, studio at charltonlive.co.uk, or you can tweet us at Charlton Live. You can head over to the Charlton Life forum, and there's a thread on there for tonight's show. We want to know what you made of yesterday's game, what you made of you know Ben Amos, uh, Naby Saar, all the, the, the players who stood out yesterday. Our player in focus later on, of course, is Ben Amos after his uh, performance yesterday and his performances recently. We want to know what you made of... Uh, you know, have, have you seen an improvement perhaps from from the uh, earlier part of his addict's career? Uh, also, we're going to talk about the takeover rumours uh, that started on Thursday. We're going to hear from Carl Robinson on those rumours later on in the show as well. So we want to know what you think about those. Do you think there's any legs in this one? Uh, are you hopeful? Are you worried that it might derail? Or, you know, would it be a distraction almost? But, you know, we want to know. So uh, studio at chartonlive.co.uk. You can tweet us at chartonlive. The second half of the show, uh, obviously after yesterday's uh, drowning, uh, we want to know uh, other games that you can remember where the weather conditions were perhaps slightly difficult. Right, uh, Terry and I caught up with a sodden uh, Carl Robinson. Wasn't uh, wearing a jumper, was no, he? No, he was crazy after yesterday's 1-0 uh, win up at Bradford City. Listen today, listen, we're still here and 
in the midst of a blizzard. Um, and Divi has got no jumper on for him. It's a, I think the players today were, were excellent. I thought the way they played, the way they removed the ball. I thought there was a lot of components to our game that was, was okay. Um, but don't expect the fluent football that you're going to see week in, week out. So teams, people always say about the way we play, oh, can it be flimsy, can it be weak? Today we weren't miles the better team. That was, that was never the case. Um, but what, what I can say was that I thought we looked disciplined. Tactically, I don't think the players took it on board, everything we said. Um, so speaking before we come here, I think we're saying, what, first defeat in 38 games here? Something, stat like that. Or down the line, maybe last time in money was in, in the mid-80s. And not scored in five times we've, we've come here. So a lot of things were stacked against us going into this game. Understand that Bradford had players out injured. That played into our hands as well. Um, and our goalkeepers won the match. Um, so I can't come up here and say, well, we were great. We did this, we did that. We dug deep and we relied upon our cat to get his eyes. So that's the best thing I've ever seen live from a goalkeeper. The way he clawed that from behind him. And not just the save. I don't know if you've seen it. Then he did an overhead kick to kick it out of play to stop the lads from tapping it in. And the save he made in the first half, the save he made just prior to that. So today our goalkeeper was was magnificent. But I thought every single player took the field of play, really give it their all. Our substitutions become defensive when you win them 1-0. Um, I, I will never apologise, I want to win. And I don't think it was about force in the second. It was more a case of, if it comes, we'll take it. And uh, yeah, listen, thank you to everyone for coming. The fans behind the goal were excellent and the players matched their effort. You must be delighted with the application. The, the whole side uh, you mentioned, Finn Anderson. Listen, we've, got, those we've gone away to over. we've gone away. Doncaster at home, who, who, who beat Southend, they were four four one. A difficult game at home, played really well and should have scored more. We go away to Oxford and we're the better team by far and, and get a point. And then we come to Bradford, two away games in a week. We didn't get back to one o'clock in the morning on Tuesday, and then we have to come up here five, six, seven hours, whatever it takes to get here. And I think the players basically just. To play two away games against two teams in the top six and perform the way we have done, I thought was very, very pleasing. You made a tactical change uh, before the kickoff, yeah. uh, putting uh, Nabisar left back. Uh, tough on De Silva, it played well, but you, you, you must have known what you were going to expect this afternoon. We knew that was a, uh, we knew that would be something they would target. I didn't tell you why he's up there, one of the best strikers in the league, and he does like to pull off onto one side. Predominantly, we looked at Adam Chickson and Polyon's delivery from their left. And we felt if we could get Nabby in there, we knew. It sounds a bit silly. We 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 knew the weather forecast on Thursday for this part of the world was bad from 12 o'clock in the in the midday. Gale force winds, driving rain. I didn't think it was a game that we could come here and be pretty. It, we needed a big back four. It was solid. And um, you put Nabby, Ez, and by the way, Ez was outstanding as well. And Pat and Josh and a big man in goal. There's five real prominent people. We even got Jaffa on the pitch towards the end to give us one, two headers and made two clearances. So everything that seemed to work for us, you don't always get that. But it's not about me, it's about the players and it's about the fans coming together and performing in the way they did. But as a manager and a coaching setup, do these sort of victories give you more pleasure than yeah. the free flowing stuff? Sometimes, but I, I just like winning. I don't care how it comes along. Um, sometimes I have to sometimes bin my principles a little bit um, and be a little bit different. Um, today, listen, which one you, you look? The, the rain and the wind is it's not pretty at all um, but we, we have to do something a bit different today tactically and I think the players and to consider we play, listen if we had all week building up into it I think you would have seen more fluidity in our play um, you didn't see that because of I think we only had well, we didn't train we haven't trained Thursday was a tickle and, and then Friday was very light so we weren't even able to get 11 11 and to work on that shape. So I've seen today that when you don't have a turnaround like you normally do, you do lose some fluidity in your play. And I think that was the case. 
and the frustrations of Tuesday night completely disappeared now. Yeah, listen, when you look up the back, it's seven points in, in a week with two of them away games, being, being Oxford and, and Bradford. Um, and again, I think Rotherham have gone to, and drawn three all today with Oxford. So when you look in the top six, um, we're the only team to win. Um, so that's the pleasing thing as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Today's win obviously puts us level with Bradford on, on points. And when you think back to your first league game for Charlton was here at Bradford, you think of how well you've done over the course. Yeah, of listen, how did you rate your time? It's twelve months since I left MK Dons today. Um, I left MK Dons six points out of the playoffs. Um, I felt we were in a good position this time last year to go and push. Um, and I've had a very turbulent twelve months uh, in relation to me learning and me trying to do different things and. I look back 12 months ago from today, we got beat 3-0 at home to South End. I look 12 months on and I'm proud of everybody who's associated with the football club. Um, it's been a long, long 12 months, trust me. Um, and I, but it's something that, with the staff and with the players, I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm not proud of what I've achieved. I'm proud to be a part of what we are doing. And, and I'm just a very small cog in, in, in everything that is associated with Charlton Athletic. I'm just one of many. I'm just the same as a fan. I'm just the same as a player. A player is like a fan. And, and you see that unity on the pitch at the end of the game where we come together and the desire that we have to play together and, and the appreciation that we have towards the fans as a thank you. I pushed Ben in front of them all because I think he deserved more applause than anybody else today. That, um, that coaching that Jake Forster Kasky's had from, from Jacko and from Boya to yeah. arrive like the far post paid off again yeah. today. Yeah. Oh, son scored today. <laughs> Dad and lad are happy. <laughs> Taking his man on well clock, does really well as well to do so. To the now he's on to take on Buchanan, keeping the ball. Lovely ball into Konza to the touchline. Konza, reverse ball, back to Forster Kaske! Yeah, and there's the over. third! And it's game over and three points for Charlton. Welcome back to Charlton Live here on Maritime Radio. Great to hear from the Addicts manager, Carl Robinson. There, I like that bit right at the end. There, we are mentioned to him uh, about the uh, the fact that Forster Kasky's uh, arrived at the at the far post late on again, which was what he's supposedly been trained to do by Lee Bowyer in particular. And he says, "Ah, uh, uh, Lee Bowyer's son scored today." So he's saying that dad and lad are happy. So Forster Kasky obviously uh, sees Lee Bowyer as some sort of father figure, which is nice to see. Yeah, and I think uh, I hope you don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, careful. Yeah, he, um, top myself there. He, <laughs> Yeah, he was obviously saying it slightly in jest, but I think the fact that, one, that they've got a, a very close relationship is obviously good because there's a lot you can learn from that. But two, that kind of group feel that the the team just have in general, obviously that's bodes well because we've seen last few years fractions in the, in the dressing room and different little cliques breaking out. It just doesn't seem to have that this year and it has paid off and we saw it happen, what, two twice in the first three or four games in the season and then, as we say, it hasn't really happened since then, but... That was him doing it again, and it was yeah, brilliant to see. Mm. Uh, right, so I mean, there was a, a nice bit of symmetry of saying that we returned to Value Parade, which is where Carl had his first mm. uh, game, uh, league game in charge of Charlton. Obviously, had his first game here in the FA Cup against Milton Keynes. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to sort of ask him about that, about you know, a sort of a, a time to think about how. Uh, how far he thinks he's come in that time. So obviously it's not like exactly a year because it's sort of um, it's just for Christmas that, that he came in, but it's nearly a year. But then it's uh, in quite nice symmetry. It's actually exactly a year since he lost his Milton Keynes job 
uh, tomorrow. He said it was, uh, yes, it was actually tomorrow I checked. Um, so into he talks about a turbulent year for himself. Obviously, he talks about how he's learned this and that. But in terms of, uh, you know, his returning to the, the first ground where he played a league game, you think of the progress he's made in that time. You can't really ask for much more from himself, maybe. I mean, he had he had a difficult spell last season, but now since he's got his own stamp on the squad, I mean, there's certainly room in the squad for improvement. But hmm. you know, in, in in terms of how he's got the team playing so far this season, we 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 had a little blip a couple of games ago. We seem to have you know come out the other side of that now, and I I imagine he'd be pretty happy with what he's achieved so far. Yeah, I think given the constraints he's had. Um... I think he's done very well. He came into a side that were primarily playing a 4-4-2, um, which we know he doesn't like to play. He also came into a job having been in his previous one for seven years. Um, so very different experience for him, a massive learning curve. Um, not only did he then learn to manage that side through the rest of the season, yes, there were shaky patches towards the end where we were all glancing down at the table, but uh, look, he kept us safe. Um, and he's had so far only one summer to really put his stamp on the team um, and, and look at the difference it's making and you would argue that you know if he'd had a few more funds he probably would have done even more with it so yeah I think he's done very well he's not only done that but he seems to have as I said I think last show even he seems to have united the, the club a bit more um, as I say and we'll talk about the takeover rumours and stuff soon the ownership are still in charge and we mustn't forget that but they've seemed to have taken a back step whether that's because they're looking to sell or whether that's just because they're letting Carl get on with it I don't know um, but on a match day the the management the the staff in, in Jacko and Boya the players the crowd um, the ones that are still coming there is there is a sense of togetherness there um, and I think he's played a big part in that and he deserves credit because I was a bit unsure when he came in uh, and I know I wasn't alone. There are plenty of people that said it. We didn't, perhaps didn't like his looking for excuses or, or p- p- what he might bring to the side. But actually, I think he's done very, very well and deserves a lot of credit. It would be great, irrespective of the takeover, to, to see him stay, to see him build something here. Because we saw, OK, he kind of ran his course at Milton Keynes. But over seven years, he did a lot with them. Um, and what you think of Milton Keynes Don's kind of irrespective, uh, if we leave that to one side, I think he's... He's a good young manager and deserves his chance. It's interesting. I mean, people talk about, um, you know, he likes to play his formation. And I guess we're, during the, the spell a few weeks ago where we weren't winning games, mm. people are asking if that's too rigid. And another thing I was thinking about, like, he's, he's he's not ashamed to admit that when we go 1-0 up and it's a difficult game that we need to win Doncaster last week, yesterday as well, he's not afraid to make a defensive substitution. Yeah, uh, I think De Silva came on yesterday. I can't remember who for, but it was an attacking player, wasn't it? And, and yeah. Jacko came on as well. Now, in particular, that thing. So when when Powell used to go one up, we'd always see um, Davit come on or from Andy the back Hughes. four, Andy Hughes, yeah. and, and often we'd concede goals and you'd get criticised for it. So at the moment, we're probably doing something quite similar in terms of making defensive yeah. substitutions, a goal into the lead, but we haven't conceded goals yet. So whilst it's working, he's not going to be questioned about it. But I think there's something that further down the line, if we concede a late goal, all of a sudden fans might question that. Hundred percent, because when he brought those players on yesterday, I started to feel a bit like that, and obviously that's because we've had the the Powell era and. You know, I'm, I'm loath to criticise Chris Powell for anything he's ever done at this club, but it was frustrating when he used to bring players on and we used to concede because it makes you feel like well, if he hadn't made the change, we would have been fine. So when he brought those defensive players on yesterday, I was a bit nervous, but actually, as you say, it worked out. Now, I'm sure there'll be games where we'll do that and we'll try and see out games and we won't have Ben Amos springing 50 yards to claw something out of his top corner, but while we have, it's obviously positive. And yeah, I was one that was critical of his... Uh, 
the rigid, rid, uh, rigid nature of his formation in those games where we were having a blip. I was one that said, you know, let's try four four two if it's not working. But credit to him, he's trusted himself, he's backed himself, and it's worked. And as you say, the only other blip he really had was well, I say blip. It was actually a, a lot worse than that towards the end of last season. But he didn't have his team necessarily. He he dug the players out and and managed that situation in a way that some people were critical of, but. He did get a reaction from the players. I uh, don't think it was the game after, but the game after that, they sort of turned it around. And then by the end of the season, we were starting to pull back away from the relegation zone. So for a young manager who's still learning a lot, as I say, to have only been at one club prior to us, I think, yeah, he's he's doing very well. And uh, as I say, irrespective of what happens over the next few weeks uh, in terms of above him, I would like him to stay here for, for a bit longer because I think he's doing something pretty good here. London Inuit user says we're shaping up to be contenders this season. I'm looking forward to downloading. Uh- Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The podcast you listen to tonight's show is uh, out driving the buses at the moment. I hope your shift is going all right. Uh, Baz Johnster on the forum. At the start of that interview, uh, Carl mentions we're in a blizzard. I mean, I, f- I think, I mean, I'm not a meteorologist. I can't even say it. I'm not one. But I'm fairly confident it has to be snowing for it to be a blizzard. I'm not and, a blizzard. I mean, yeah. it was pretty biblical. But, it was uh, it was windy and rainy. But yeah. Baz Johnson says that there's a job at the Met Office waiting for you, Carl, not after you <laughs> refer to a bit of rain uh, as a blizzard. Let's get on to the emails. Chris Davin says, evening crew of the good ship, uh, Charlton Live. And we needed a ship to uh, get back to the station yesterday. I was absolutely drenched yeah, by you the time I got back to it. It was a horrible, miserable, wet journey back. You didn't wear a bin bag like that. No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just before I left the Bradford press office, there was a guy cling filming himself. Up, literally like <laughs> covered himself in bin bags uh, just to walk to his car which was quite a sight uh, so Chris says uh, uh, it was a result of our season so far up at Bradford City yesterday a 1-0 win which really sends out a message to the rest of League 1 my son who was at Valley Parade yesterday whether it's called now Northern Commercial Stadium Northern Commercial, now, yeah. uh, said it was a well deserved win after a hard working display I mean do you think I was thinking, do we deserve the win I think we in yeah, terms of chances, so. yeah, chances we create the better chances. We were rugged at the back. Mm. You call upon your goalkeeper, and we're the one. We're the team that didn't fall asleep at the crucial moment. So I yeah. think we do deserve. I think the win. To, our defensive display alone, we deserved yeah. it. Yeah, we deserve to shut them out for de- for definite. Yeah, it says one observation made was that Naby Sarr is weirdly good at slide tackles and putting another quality display after his excellent performance at Oxford. Now, I mean, we, we talked about the, sl- the slide tackle. Uh, midway through the first half really was a thing of beauty I described it as sexy on, uh, on Twitter uh, I, I, the rain must have got to me but um, <laughs> it, it was an excellent slide tackle but at the same time now I, I do want now, now we're talking about Naby Sarr we're talking about a good performance at Oxford we're talking about a good performance at Fleetwood we're talking about a good performance uh, yesterday at Valley Parade but we're also mentioning we did get beat once or twice I mean 
at the same time, we've got to remember he's playing out of position. He's playing at the left-back position that we're not really used to. But, I mean, we're all crowing and we're all delighted with how well he's playing. I mean, to the extent that I'm sort of wondering, are we saying he's better than he is? Because we expected much worse. But he has played well so far, so I don't know if I'm, I'm maybe slightly playing mm. devil's advocate. It's a difficult one. one as well, because last time we saw him, he was so appallingly bad. So you look at the transformation, and obviously he seems to have got this cult status among some people on Twitter, and that has all kind of built up around him. What he is doing is playing well. Um, obviously he's not perfect, and he's still making mistakes, and he's still very young, and he's still adapting to English football, really, because although he's been with us for a couple of years, he hasn't played a huge amount, so... There are going to be faults, there are going to be mistakes, but you know, Patrick Bauer's still making mistakes, you know, Solly has been making mistakes, Cashy as a defensive midfielder occasionally misplaces a pass, so these things happen to all of our players, but yeah, his sliding tackles have been good, on the whole his positioning's been good, he got beaten yesterday a couple of times by a very good winger, so yeah, obviously you would love him not that not to happen, and if it was Jada Silva out there, maybe it wouldn't have, but... Jada Silva probably wouldn't have headed away two or three of the crosses that Saar was able to. So, yeah, you know, he hasn't been 10 out of 10 every game, but he's been certainly seven or eights for the two or three times that I've seen him. Uh, Chris Davin's email continues that we can call him Lazarus Nabi. Sorry, he's a zero to hero. The boy done good. Good to see uh, Forster Kasky getting on the score sheet again. Onwards and upwards. AFC Wimbledon up next at the Valley. It's all looking good. Long may it continue. Just a pity that the Valley is two-thirds empty uh, these days, although I guess if uh, the next feature we're yeah. going to talk about happens, and that won't be uh, the case, right? Don't forget if you want to have your say on yesterday's game, you can email us studio at chaltonlive.co.uk. You can tweet us at chaltonlive. There's other topics we're going to talk about uh, this evening as well. We are about to talk about the potential takeover when we come back uh, from the break. The rumour, of course, uh, brought out by the Voice of the Valley fanzine on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Rick Everett, the Voice of the Valley editor, saying that he believes that a takeover may well be imminent. He says he's certain that the due diligence uh, process is going through. There's, I mean, we'll talk about it in a few seconds' time. We're also going to hear Carl Robinson's reaction uh, to those uh, rumours as well. Uh, also, Ben Amos is our player in focus. I don't think we've had many tweets on that, actually. So if uh, you have your say on Ben Amos, um, you know, I remember at the start of the season we spoke, uh, he was our player in focus after the game at Plymouth, where he'd had a couple of shaky moments on the opening day against Bristol Rovers and letting arguably a slightly soft goal uh, away against Plymouth but since then you know his performances yesterday he earned I think man in the match performance from Carl uh, came out to speak to us in the press after which you'll be able to read in the South London Press website tomorrow uh, so I want to know if your opinion on him has changed are you more comfortable with him or do you still think he's got a potential error in him uh, let us know studio at chartonlive.co.uk tweet us at chartonlive and finally we will talk about uh, other games where there's been fairly difficult weather conditions because I mean like I say, yesterday uh, has literally broken my laptop. The speakers are now now not working again. Uh, as I read the script off my laptop, there's a big cloud of water that seeped into the screen. So uh, the, the, the weather certainly affected me. It's, it affected the players as well. Uh, so I want to remember other games where perhaps the weather has affected the game. So let's have a quick break here on Chat on Live. Get your, your messages and your emails in. Uh, we're going to talk about the potential takeover news after the break. Holmes to force Kasky. Holmes, Clark, lovely play. Clark brings the ball forward. He's got Holmes inside who he uses. Holmes, Holmes, Holmes. Holmes! Yes! What a goal! Charlton, Ricky Holmes on his left foot, brought the ball forward, continue with it, and fires in the back of the net. Charlton have their second. Holmes against his former side. 
Welcome back to Chatman Live here on uh, Maritime Radio. Just very quickly before we do the takeover stuff, uh, Albert Rossi has just tweeted me actually saying, do you think that Carl Robertson is tempted to sign uh, Leon Best because Big Josh is looking a bit tired? I mean, what, what did you make of Josh's performance? I'd say Josh was very quiet until the last, literally the last knock-ins of the games where he had a, uh, a couple of runs away as we were breaking and, and dragged wide a couple of times. Do you think he looked tired? I mean, he is going to be one of the more overworked players in our squad because he's our only striker and he, and he has to go and play for Northern Ireland as well. Mm. Um, I don't know whether I thought he was tired or not because, as you say, he, he really came alive towards the end of the game. Um, I think in that first half, and I haven't heard all of the commentary back either, but I remember saying a couple of times he was quite isolated, but I think that was because of the, the defensive work that the others were having to do. Um, also, when the balls were being played up to him, it was difficult for him to get his head on it just simply because the wind was taking the ball away from him a few times. So I, th- I agree with the point. I think he is going to get tired and therefore I wonder whether Carl will be tempted to bring in another striker before January. Um, but I'm not sure yesterday necessarily whether that was a game where I thought that uh, particularly. But yeah, I think that that is going to be an issue um, because Dodu... What I don't know what's going on with him, but Carl certainly doesn't seem to fancy him. And Ahern Grant, okay, came on again against Oxford, but missed a couple of chances. So really, it's something we've come back to time and time again. Josh is the only person that's going to play in that number nine role in this formation, it seems. Um, so yeah, he is going to need a rest at some point. It's just who we put there when that needs to happen. And at the moment, I suspect it would have to be Dodu. But uh, if Best comes in, I think he would probably do the the Josh aspects of that role probably slightly better. Right, let's talk takeovers. Um, Thursday afternoon, we spoke about it on Thursday night's Big Match preview show actually, but on Thursday afternoon the... uh uh, the news was broken by Rick Everett, the voice of the Valley fanzine editor on his website, the uh, VOTVonline.com. Uh, he understands that a takeover may well be imminent here at Charlton Athletic. Of course, uh, we've had a you know a up and down a roller coaster ride the last well you know mainly the big dipper if you're being <laughs> honest uh, we're under Renard de Chatel over the last uh, three years now three well coming up to four years I think actually when you think, if you think about it uh, as long turmoil as protests we've seen it all over the last few years Man- uh, you know favourite managers being sacked favourite players leaving the club uh, relegation everything everything that could go wrong did go wrong uh, over the last few years and the fans of course uh, ended up with protesting the coalition against Ronan du Chatelet was formed uh, after the spelling out and black and white campaign uh, fans joining to protest against the ownership of the club and calling for Ronan du Chatelet to sell up now Rick Everett thinks that that might be imminent. He says that as he's certain that a due diligence progress, uh, you know, pro, uh, process, sorry, is in place at the moment. Uh, he said he's certain of that. He said he's not certain whether the Australian Football Consortium, whose name was revealed a few months ago, and it's sort of around April time, if I remember rightly, he's not certain whether it's still them or uh, or not. He says uh, on his piece, he said he thinks they're still the front runners. He's not certain if it's them, but he knows the process is in place of due diligence, which is the important part where the two uh you know the two parties will get together check for all the finances check that Roland hasn't hidden you know 100 million pounds worth of debt here or something only only the 60 or 70 <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know that sort of thing where they'll discuss uh whether whether that's the case now we talked about this on Thursday um I asked Carl Robinson about it yesterday as well now I mean he's not the ma- he's, he's hardly going to come out and say anything really but I think we, you know, it's probably right to ask him just to see if we can get any hints from him or not so let's hear what Carl said uh, when I asked him 
about the latest takeover rumours yesterday. Away from today, um, takeover rumours have come up again. I mean, last time you went straight to the well, to the CEO or to the owner for some assurances. Do you, have you heard any further? I got a phone call yesterday from somebody from, from, from the board just to say, listen, obviously there's rumours going around. Um, and as we know, no. Um, if it happens, it'll be happening behind my back. But I've been told no. Um, and my job is to make people proud. And if the club ever gets sold or if the club doesn't get sold, my job is just to win. And I want to detach myself from that. Um, I want my players to detach themselves from that. Um, I just want people to be proud of. And, and listen, there'll be some people who'll be happy with it. Some people will be got questioned the the, the, the turbulent times. Um, but I've been told it's as you were. Um, I don't think anybody can do much more than what we're doing. I think we've disconnected ourselves from, from that very, very well. Um, from the club that I walked into 12 months ago to the club that I stand here very proud to be associated with, it's it's immense pride. And I know all the players who, who play for us are equally as proud of what they're achieving here. In a hypothetical situation, would, would you worry that any takeover would take some, make me you know, distract your players at all or anything like well, that? Well, I'd be gone, so <laughs> simple as that. Um, listen, I'm just I'm proud to be associated with the club for this period of time. And if we can bring stability, if we can bring that desire and application, that's all I'm here to do. And whatever the, the future holds, um, for me, for the club, for the fans, for the players, that's in the future. Um, and you can never worry about things that are out of your control. I've been told categorically that that won't be the case right now. Um, I've been told that, as you were, and that is... Transparent. Hopefully, people respect me honestly. Hopefully, and trying to be as straight as they can with people. Thanks. Cheers. So that's Carl Robinson talking about the potential, you know, the takeover rumours. Now, can't really expect him to say anything else. Now, he's he's sort of asking people to respect his uh, openness at the end. Now, I mean, you're hoping that's a, you know, you wonder if, is that a message to me or you know to you know not not to me but to to the listening public about you know. You know, I'm trying to be as honest. Is it a message to Rosen saying, I hope you're telling me the truth because I need to know what's going on? I mean, how, how do you read his reaction to that? I mean, would, would, would it was you, odd. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because he started by saying he didn't really know anything and then went into this sort of discussing things. And I I don't know how much they were keeping them in the loop. Um, I He loves to talk, doesn't he? So. Yeah, exactly. I think my opinion is that something must be happening for, for Rick to break the story. Um I don't know whether he is trying to just divert and because my concern as a manager would be, well, if any of this is going on, I just don't want it to disrupt my players. Um, I don't know whether he is secretly a bit more worried that if something does happen, whether his position would be in jeopardy, which, as I said earlier in the show, I hope it wouldn't. Well, you went straight for it. He said, if it happened, I won't be here. Exactly. We, uh, we need him to stay as far as I'm concerned at the moment. But yeah, it was, it was an odd answer. Um, Obviously, as I say, I'm I'm torn because I believe what I'm hearing about things happening, how far down the line they are, I don't know. But then I've got a manager coming out and saying, if it is happening, it's happening behind my back. So, yeah, it, it was an odd one. I don't, I'm not entirely sure what he was trying to say by that. But, um, yeah, if anything, it just kind of confused me a bit more. I'm trying to think if there was any real difference in what he said to the last time. I mean, if he said, he said the sort of way he went about it is if, if, if. Mm. I mean, last time he was just said, no, I've been told no. Whereas this time, is there a difference in saying, well, if it is happening, I, I don't know about it. I mean, if, 
I mean, so there's two things, well, three things possible here now. A is nothing is happening. Rick's got it wrong. That's why he's been told nothing's happening. That's one possible thing. Two, something is happening. He knows it's happening. But uh, Ronan and Katrina said, look, as far as we're concerned, you know, we need it to be not happening so we can get more money from whoever's going to buy us. Yeah. Or three, something's happening. Katrina and Roland know that, but they've said to Cole, no, nothing's happening. I mean, it could be... I mean, that's the three things that possibly could have happened the way I'm reading it. I mean, it could be any one of those threes as far as I know, but yeah. like, I'm not the one who's got the sources like Rick has in terms of um, being sure enough to to say something. Now, at the same time, people tweeted the Belgian journalist Sven Klaas. Now, Sven Klaas has come out, has spent a few hours apparently doing some digging, and he's come out and said, oh, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't seem to be anything happening. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Rick's wrong at all. I mean, it could be that Rick's got better sources. Sven might have asked the wrong people. Sven... You know, we know he's we've, he almost certainly has a link straight to Duchatelet. He's a Belgian journalist. He's a very good Belgian journalist. So it's up to Roland or whoever is his Belgian source who yeah. who might know to go around and tell Sven whatever he wants to tell him. If they're playing the game of no, we're going to tell everyone it's a no, then they're going to tell Sven that as well. So, I mean, there's so many. It's, it's a web that you don't really know which way it's going to go. And uh, that's, I guess, what makes it sort of exciting at the moment. Yeah, and I think... As we said on Thursday, because we're we're so desperate for it to happen and we've been waiting for it for so long and because the we had two or three times where it seems like something's happening and then it hasn't, it as soon as anything comes on, we're we're leaping upon it. So Rick comes out and says, Look, it something's happening, it could be as early as the end of this week and we're all going, Right, when's it gonna happen? Who's it gonna be? When's it gonna be done? Everyone's constantly refreshing Twitter. Now Carl comes out and says, Oh, I don't know anything about that, if, if, if and you go, Oh, maybe it's not happening and then Sven comes out on Twitter and says, No, I don't think anything's happening you're like, Oh, well, is it is it not? So because we're so desperate for it, every little thing is getting picked up on and analysed. The reality is, until the official website posts a statement saying Chant Athletic's been sold to so-and-so, we don't really know. There are different people with different sources who are claiming different stories. There are some people are going to trust and some who aren't. As I say, I tend to side with, with what Rick says. I, yeah. I, I would trust what he is saying. But in my opinion but, as well, it's more, it's more likely that Rick's going to have Charlton-based sources yeah. than Sven. I mean, exactly. in my opinion, and Charlton people talk. I mean, Charlton's yeah. one big family these people are going to know stuff whereas Sven will have his Belgian side source I mean this, I mean, this is a guess Sven, Sven might be best mates with someone here yeah. he might be best mates with the security guard at the or Valley he Frog might have rung Roland and yeah. gone Roland are you selling and Roland's gone no yeah, exactly so. so that's why that in my opinion that's why you're going to get two different yeah. stories coming out of it and as I say I think until we get some official statement we're not going to know it, it is exciting because it's something we're all craving but at the same time as I said on, on Thursday and at as Carl was alluding to there, so long as it doesn't affect the squad and the performances, I don't care. When we were losing constantly under the likes of Fry or Bob Peters or Luzon, if a takeover bid dis- well, it couldn't disrupt the team because we were doing shocking, but because we're, <laughs> because we're doing all right now, you just don't want that to be the parting shot that finally does sell and that ends up disrupting what has been a good start to the season. Provided that doesn't happen, then obviously I hope something's happening and I hope it gets done soon. But... um yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see, I think. In terms of uh, people who it might be, like, say, um, according to Rick's uh, piece, the Australian Football Consortium uh, were the front runners. Now, other people are trying to say, oh, apparently it might only be just the one of them. Uh, it might be someone completely different. You get all sorts of different the tweets that, that come flying in and emails. But you don't know. I, I mean, uh, Bob Liskam's just tweeting in saying, uh, why does Carl Robinson think that he won't be at Cholton? Uh, and then he says, it seems to me that he does know something, but he couldn't let on. I mean, it's 
it's I'd say it's fairly traditional that when a, a new owner comes in, they tend to seem to sack the manager. Mm. Certainly in the the last couple here at the Valley and the ones that therefore I'm more familiar with, the second that um, Slater and Jimenez came in, then Parkinson was gone after, you know, within two or three games. Uh, and obviously then we saw with Duchatelet coming and getting rid of Powell, uh, you know, reasonably sharpish as well. So I think, I think it's, you know, it's, it's fairly standard procedure that a new owner wants their, their own man in, and and that's why I think Carl said he won't be here. But like I say, I mean, if if a new owner does come in, you'd think they'd look around at what's happened so far and think, well, actually, you know, if we're serious about promotion, if we're serious about uh, you know trying to do something with the the football side of the club, then a stability is one of the things that's been the main problem for Charlton recently, and that's why you'd hope that, in my opinion, that that Carl would. Uh, stay on. I tweeted out earlier asking uh, what other people have made of all the uh, potential, uh, you know, rumours and whatnot going around. Uh, GB Addict <coughs> says, "I really don't understand what would make him want to sell now. Why not wait to see if we get promoted so he can ask for more money? Why did he go through the trouble of creating a new training ground if he's going to sell the club before it's even finished? I'd give an arm and a leg to get him away from our club, but this takeover news just doesn't, just hasn't sounded too convincing." Uh, just yet and he says great show lads cheers for that uh, GB addict I mean what do you make of the time some people have mentioned the time will be slightly strange but everything about this tenure has been strange and none, none of what's happened here has made too much sense in terms of decision making at times over the last three years I mean I remember when we were in the process of getting relegated people saying oh I hope some people even said I hope we do get relegated because then it'll be tempted to sell now, soon as we have got relegated, people have slipped it over to the other side. So I hope we do go up because then we'll get more money. We'll be tempted to sell. I mean, yeah. there's no logic to why. There's no apparent obvious logic as to why he bought the club in the first place. So no. a sale could e- equally go through an illog- illogical time. Yeah, and uh, going back to the, ger- the Belgian journalist Sven Klaas, one of the things he said is duchatelet has been looking to sell for a while now, and that's yeah, something and he did we've say heard. That, and that's important. We've heard that from multiple sources. I think even Rich Corley has said that as well. Potentially, uh, if he hasn't, then I'll take that back. But um, yeah, it, we've heard it from a lot of places. So the fact that he this one may be going the right way, maybe he's now had an offer that he's happy with. Um, if he's been wanting to sell for six months, it's not that he's particularly chosen this time. It's that somebody else has looked in and thought, now's the time to buy because they're looking pretty good. There's a January coming up. There's this, there's that. They're, they're a team on the up. So it's not all in De Chatelet's favour. You know, He's got to have people coming in and wanting to buy the club and buying the club for a, pl- uh, a price that he is willing to accept. So, uh, yeah, as you say, a lot of what they've done hasn't made sense. He's wanted to sell for a while, so I think if the right offer is there, then he's going to start to listen, irrespective of whether we're going up or not. Um, I would think that he's going to factor things like the investment in the training ground, the investment in the stadium, things like that, into his price anyway. And if somebody has matched that, then why not sell now because if he doesn't want to be here anymore we're not sure why he bought the club in the first place um you know maybe he just wants out and in in that case if the price is right then he's going to go just had an email into the inbox with the subject line interesting offer and then the first words were good day good day i thought here we go this is a good Uh, start it's a bit of spam uh someone's offering to do some administration for Cheltenham life um i mean that's that's, we're way beyond that i'm afraid (laughs) (laughs) uh right other tweets in on the subject uh will bolland says it's still happening but not the aussie consortium perhaps just a single aussie or an unknown but it will happen uh, Will's uh, seems very positive. His other, his other tweet even said, all oh, this suggests that an Aussie consortium doesn't seem to be the front runner. Plenty of hope left. And in that, he's replying 
to Sven Klaas's tweet, which says, that's "Sorry, what he said, didn't yeah, he? He said Sven's, Aussies, yeah, no. Sven's tweet said, "Sorry for my late answer. Aussies Valley not happening anytime soon. So is that a hint? Who knows? Does he know? No one knows." <laughs> uh, Dan Finch says, uh, "I asked, is the takeover going to happen?" He says, "No, I've got a fiver on it. I'm interested to know how that bet works. <laughs> I mean, is, is that time limited? Yeah, yeah, just uh, never. Yeah, because if if you're betting a fiver that the takeover is never going to happen, I'll have some of that because yeah, at some same. point it's going to happen." Make it 500 quid. Uh, Mendonca's <laughs> right foot said the rumours are absolute bullshine. Uh, which is, is that uh, what he said? Yeah, that is exactly what he said. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. If, uh, the, the listeners are Very starting polite. to uh, censor themselves, which <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of. Uh, right, let's, uh, we did have an email as well on the takeover from Freddie Wells. Hi, guys. A bit late to the party, but I wanted to discuss the takeover rumours. At the moment, it seems that Robertson has shaped together a decent side and we're having a good season so far. I think a rejuvenated fan base will be the missing ingredient to push us to promotion. Fans have always been at the heart of the club and driving out Roland on the 25th anniversary of returning to the Valley seems like it's written in the stars for us to have a successful season whoever comes in I really hope they stick with Robinson knowing Carl he'll be able to talk his way into the plans of the new owners and they'll <laughs> back him uh, good times are coming back even if these rumours are another false alarm the fact that they keep surfacing shows it's only a matter of time before Roland and co are gone for good really love the show and appreciate all you guys do for us fans it's always nice to hear my views read out on the radio uh, all the best Charlton Live team that's from Freddie Wells Freddie we're always happy to have your views and everyone else is here on, uh, on Charlton Live it's the fans that drive the show uh, we turn up with a post-it note and then read out what you guys <laughs> want to say uh, basically um, I mean it, it, it did mention even if the, the, the room is a false alarm and uh, it shows the fact they keep surfacing I mean maybe a false alarm would be the wrong phrase to use but if for example I mean Rick says he's certain we're in due diligence and Rick wouldn't be saying he's certain unless he is certain yeah uh, but due diligence means nothing. If if they're doing due diligence and find out that we've got a standing order with DFS for another five hundred, um, you know, fan sofas, yeah, they might you know pull the deal out. That's what due due diligence is all about. You're finding be, out the secrets, and I'll if they find a secret, yeah, back. if they find a secret they don't like, we've hired a house DJ as the next manager. They can pull out the deal, so it could still fall through if there is due diligence going through. But it would be a good sign, even if it does, to the fact that Roland's you know on the way out, as Sven said, as Rick said, as other people have said. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing. The reason the rumours keep coming up is because there is interest in the club. Now, how far down the line a lot of the other ones are, uh, I don't know. Um, we'd have to go on what people reported at the time. Uh, as you say, with, with Rick saying they're doing, or they're at the stage of it that they are, you you would have to take that as read. But as you say, there's still a huge amount to go. You know, Like, like when you buy a house, until you've got the keys and you're in that house, something could go wrong and... and it must be the same with the takeover. There must be so much legal paperwork and so much that they need to comb Dread through. Do you think what the administration's been exactly. like? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Where's that admin from that email? Do they fancy doing it? Um, so there'll there'll be a huge amount of work that has to go through for something like that to happen. So, you know, it, it's not it's not an easy process, and that's why the rumours tend to drag on, and we get to stages and then it drops out. But as we both said there, because of, of what Rick's reporting, we we have a if if that's to be believed, which as I say, I I would tend to be, to to believe that we get an indication of where in the process it is. Now that doesn't mean that necessarily they're able to out- announce it tomorrow, but at the same time maybe they are. So it is just a waiting game at the moment, and it's frustrating as I say because we all want it to happen. But while that is the case, let's focus on the team because the team are doing well, and at least we've got something at Charlton to to smile about at the moment whilst all this is going on. I mean. Like I say, Rick, Rick's obviously the main source of the current story. His is his his work, his sources that they've gone out there and done that. But since I mean, since then, even even people have been trying to tell us stuff. I mean, 
that starts all the rumour mill going round and you hear things from some people and you think, oh, is that true? And you hear things from other people. Is that true? Is it a false alarm? I mean, there's talk. There's always talk. There was talk last time. That was sort of around April time, wasn't there? There was talk that day. There's talk again. Yeah, it, it, there's chatter. Let's hope Let's hope this time it's, it's the time that, that uh, you know, that, that it does go through. Ray Bates says... Uh, uh, KM is, is is it's possible that KM or KR haven't haven't been told it's happening. Roland Duchatelet has tucked her up a couple of times, i.e., Slade being the right man for the job. Now we've had that twice actually, where Katrine mm. has come out and said uh, she backed Bob Peters in the program of the game he got sacked after. She backed Russell Slade on Talk Sport with uh, with Jim White, and he was sacked two three weeks later. Yeah. Not, not even maybe not even that. Uh, so I mean, I mean that would be really harsh if you're not telling your own CEO what's going on. But I'm not sure necessarily that it's in his interest to tell her what's going on. Um, and if he, you know, it's his club, he he doesn't necessarily need to. I agree. I would think a bit of transparency and being honest with people. But given the way the regime's been and what's happened over the last three years, it, it wouldn't surprise me if she she wasn't aware either. So we do have to take that into account. Carl Robinson fan girl Charlton Exile says Robinson is insufferable to listen to, but he is doing a good job with the team. So long may he continue. Right, let's have another quick break. Couple more features for tonight's Charlton Live as we enter the last ten minutes of the show. Uh, our player in focus is Ben Amos, uh, and also after yesterday's uh, Storm Bryan uh, disrupted game and laptop, uh, we're going to talk about other games where we've had to play in unsufferable conditions. Back in uh, thirty seconds. Welcome back to the final eight minutes or so of Charlton Live here on Maritime Reddit on your Sunday evening. We've looked back in uh, detail at yesterday's excellent 1-0 win up at Bradford City. Despite the weather, a really enjoyable day for the 624 addicts who made their way up to South York. Where is Bradford? Yorkshire? I think South Yorkshire. Yeah, Yorkshire. Where, where, where we, wherever the train station is, I'll just follow the train. <laughs> uh, we went there and we enjoyed our day. Um Yesterday, the three points were sort of one where they were secured really by those two excellent saves from Ben Amos uh, in the last couple of minutes. Um, the, the second one, Carl Robertson described as uh, one of the best things he's ever seen a goalkeeper do live. Uh, you're going to hear from Ben Amos if you check out the South London Press website tomorrow morning uh, if you want to read his views on the games. But I mean, we'll just discuss him very briefly. Um, I mean, after we after the Plymouth game where he'd had a shaky first couple of games really for Charlton. Um, and and we did a in focus then, and people were expressing concern. Uh, I'd heard bad things about his performances at Cardiff before uh, last season, um, and, but I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And so when I saw those first couple of games, you're, you're slightly worried, and you think, well, he's, he's certainly got some room for improvement. Now, have, have we seen that improvement? I would say so. Yeah, and I think that's why I thought he was an interesting person to pick up on, really, because when he came in, we were a little bit unsure. He obviously did make that mistake at Plymouth. He then. I remember at uh, Rotherham away uh, in the warm-up, let one between his legs and kind of jokingly turned around to the fans and said better to do it now than during the game. Mm. Um, Then I thought went on to have a very good game and obviously we kept a clean sheet. Um, And I think he's then, 
you know, he's had the odd moment where he's looked a bit shaky, but his commanding from crosses on the whole has been been good. Um, his saves yesterday were phenomenal, and yeah, I think he's growing into into the shirt, and and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that because. Yeah, he his start to his Charlton career was a little bit ropey. Um, he, Dylan Phillips, okay, he's a he's a young goalkeeper, but he's an able deputy, I would suggest. And Amos has managed to keep his place and, and do very well. So yeah, I felt he des- deserves a lot of credit from yesterday, as you say. Carl gave him his man of the match, and I just think hopefully that will continue. Right, so I wanted to know what you guys have made of Ben Amos. He is our player in focus uh, this week. Sean says he's getting better. A long way to go before he gets to the standard of our last few keepers. So Hamer, uh, Pope Randolph and Elliot are all now in the Premier League. I mean, because he's had an interesting career, Amos. He started off at Man United. But yeah. I think this. I think the, I worked out the other week for a story. This is the eighth loan, uh, loan spell of his career. Right. Uh, he, I think he had six away from Man U, the last one which was at Bolton. Bolton then signed him, and now they shipped him out to Cardiff last season, and now he's here, uh, of course, this season. He didn't play much at Cardiff last year. Um, but like I say, he's uh, some, some excellent saves yesterday. He certainly uh, improved my confidence in him, because you know when, when you hear these horror stories from, from other people, yeah. you're starting start to worry. But some of the saves he made yesterday uh, were, were excellent. Uh, Mendonca's right foot, in fact, says there's nothing wrong with his reflexes, but the way he deals with crosses is still wrong. He does. He is a puncher. He's a he's a puncher and not a catcher. Yeah. Um, in most occasions, which is something that some people don't, especially you know, it's more of a continental keeper approach. I think is what people say, uh, and that's perhaps as you know, it has people worried at times. But seeing you know, like I say, his performance yesterday was uh, was excellent. Richard Justin says always. That Amos would come good. Uh, he just needed to play uh, regularly, uh, needed more games indeed to get match fit. So we're hoping that is the case now. And like I say, he was, um, uh, it, was, it was great to speak to him after the game. It's very, it's uh, not the most exciting person to talk to in terms of like, he's, he's very level headed and calm, which is what you want in a goalkeeper, really. I mean, uh, people talk about the goalkeepers' union, especially like the likes of Ben Hamer, who came out like mad as a box of frogs. But uh, uh, Amos doesn't seem like that sort of person. But you know, when he's making saves like he did yesterday, he could be the most boring. He could be the Lee Clark of goalkeepers, for yeah. all I care. Uh, right. The other thing I wanted to talk about yesterday uh, was, I mean, the weather was just unbelievable. It's uh, one of the favourite things for British people to talk about is the weather. It I mean, was I've, ridiculous. Yeah. I mean. Uh, we were. I, I got my comeuppance for being so smug at Gillingham when when the away end was uncovered and I was sat under the stand and was laughing because it was raining about an hour before kickoff I and mean, it was dry by the time the game went on anyway. But yesterday the Charlton fans were in the stand that had a roof and the, the way the wind was blowing, the wall was behind them. They I were fine. They were fine. Where we were at Value Parade, the um, the main stand we were sat in, the, the stand doesn't go all the way to the end of the pitch, so. Despite the fact we were sort of on the halfway line, the roof ended a fair bit near nearer to us than you'd expect, and a really high roof as well. It's a massive, gorgeous stand. It's a wonderful stadium, Value Parade, by the way. Um, but because the roof was so high and didn't actually go that far, there was a lot of scope for the wind to blow the rain in, and we got absolutely drenched. It's ruined my laptop. Uh, I'm going to have to take it to the Apple Store before next week's game, and I'm going to have to ruin my health. Yeah, it's ruined Tom's health, who's now got hyperthermia. Terry, I haven't seen him since. No one's seen him since. That's a sort of floating away from Valley Parade, especially at his age as well. I mean, (laughs) to sit out in in the rain like that. But I mean, it's not the first game we've had uh, in inclement weather conditions. Now, one that hasn't been tweeted in is I remember Millwall away in the snow. I mean, because we have played uh, games in the snow before. Uh, so so that was the one I picked up. I mean, have you got any memories of games in horrible, horrible weather like yesterday? Uh, the one, and uh, it goes a bit under the radar, I think, because of what happened in the game, but that Cardiff 5-4, the weather there was appalling. And uh, 
I was living up in northwest London at the time and I didn't have a season ticket so I bought a ticket for the game and we were obviously where we were we were playing top of the league and I was just dreading coming to that and it was pouring down with rain sat on the front row so that was pretty bad um, and then Doncaster obviously when the game got abandoned yeah. was pretty bad as well so there's been a couple but yeah. no nah, yesterday was the worst for yeah, me yeah Doncaster uh, being rained off is obviously the one that stands out but there's a couple of the others that have come in uh, I mean Yeovil away I mean I wasn't in that away end uh, mm. luckily but Terry's I mean, mentioned people, that one before, yeah people coming out absolutely soaked the one all game uh, Sebo says apart from Yeovil walking from Birmingham City Centre to the ground in 2005 I got soaked and had temporary damage to the phone that I had at that time that was in the uh uh, it goes, that was the 05-06 season when we beat Birmingham 1-0 with a Darren Bent goal and I got soaked walking back into Birmingham. Uh, one dark dance says, surely it's got to be Yeovil away, uh, followed by a rendition of the Wurzels in the booth, <laughs> which just sounds like a great day. Uh, Tom Connie says, Yeovil away without a doubt as well. Uh, Matthias, who lives up in that part of the world, is in the north. It says, uh, West Yorkshire, uh, Sheffield, Barnsley and Robinson is in South Yorkshire. So Bradford's okay. in West Yorkshire. We said Birmingham, nil one Cholton in 2015 was uh, absolutely freezing uh, cold. I remember uh, just very quickly got an email from Mark said wet would not do it justice. Uh, I'm going back to the year we were going up to the Premier League on a cold damp Saturday in Swindon. No sign of any bad conditions beforehand but just as the uh, ref uh, blew kick off the heavens opened and the rain lashed down on us non-stop for 45 minutes. Steve Jones scored and slid in celebrations for about 30 metres. <laughs> I don't know if anyone remembers uh, Sol Campbell's never ending slide tackle yeah. for England uh, at uh, Wembley. That was a good day. When we, when we failed to make Euro 2008. Uh, half time came and the rain stopped. We stood and squeezed soggy crotches all our own. Not each other's yeah, I believe you Mark. Uh, out came the teams for the second half and the ref blew the rain started again Swindon even had the cheek to try and charge for plastic capes until a fan just took the box and started running away and handed them out uh, as for cold going back to 1990 a Zenith data game at the Goldstone ground midweek about 200 Charlton fans in a freezing wind where I had to I had to have uh, two bothrels yeah any excuse I love bothrel as well by yeah, the way same. Uh, one just to probe from my hands to get the feeling back we lost 3-1 and a couple of uh, fingers to frostbite right we have run out of time uh, here on Charlton Live it's absolutely flown by uh, just like uh, Ben Amos's kick flew up and then flew back <laughs> towards his own goal yesterday uh, I've enjoyed very much looking back at that superb 1-0 win uh, up at Bradford City yesterday the goal from Jake Foster Cassie that handed us those three points in the horrible wind and rain uh, up in West Yorkshire thanks Matthias uh, Tom I'm glad you dried out in time to come enjoy the show this evening thank you cheers Louis, thanks, Louis. Um, I've been uh, Louis Mendes uh, here on Charlton Live we hope you've enjoyed the show we'll be back on Thursday to preview next week's game against AFC Wimbledon uh, but thanks for your listening and for uh, joining in the show this evening hope you've enjoyed it we'll see you later Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.